I could bring a mini horse on the plane, I would bring little Sebastian. Who would you bring little on the plane? I don't know. I feel like my horse would be named Chestnut or something, some classic horse name. So you've not seen Parks and Rec? Um, I've seen like the first season and a half. Little you didn't Sebastian get to... has not no. been introduced yet. Nope. So you know little Sebastian. I know little Sebastian. Bye-bye, little Sebastian up there in horsey heaven. Yep. 5,000 candles in the wind. Yeah. But, of course, now we can all bring our mini horses on planes as long as we get them certified as service animals. Did you see this one? I did not see this one. I did see an article, but I have not read it about mini horses. I bet Mr. Bonnet would say, like, the demand for mini horses is going to increase now because yes. it's going to be some I'm expensive I'm pretty sure the demand for, uh, for, for physicians or, or mental health professionals who will certify mini horses as service animals is going to go We're gonna up. We're going to need JetBlue's extra coach legroom for that. That's it. Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to another episode of What's the Res, an ongoing conversation about the current resolutions in the world of high school debate. My name is Josh Herring. I'm joined today by Ethan Delves. Hello, everyone. And by Ms. Courtney Van Cleek. Hi there. Today, we are going to be discussing the current Lincoln-Douglas resolution, which reads, Resolved, in the United States, colleges and universities ought not consider standardized tests and undergraduate admissions decisions. Ms. Van Cleek, or uh, Courtney, as I'm going to call her on the show. Uh, Courtney is our uh, local college admissions specialist. She has successfully gotten uh, every one of the Thales Academy Rollsville graduates into, uh, into college uh, somewhere, many of them into very prestigious places, and all of them have gone from our school to college so far. And uh, I'm very excited to have Courtney on the show. Welcome to What's the Res. Thank you. I'm excited. So, tell us a little bit about uh, what you do in terms of college advising, how long have you been doing it, and, and so on. So, I have been with Thales, this is year number eight, and our first graduating class was five years ago, and they had no support, so about six years ago, I went to Dr. Edwards and was like, we need to come up with a plan to support these students. And so, her and I started looking at what the process should look like, what it should be, um, and went from there. The first year it turned into um, uh, Dr. Edwards just invested more time with them simply because I was in the classroom full-time and then the next year um, I started moving in more of a role where I would walk them through the college process and it has gone from running behind them and playing catch-up into a systematic approach where we start day one from um, starting with a resume senior year to help them organize their thoughts all the way to the point of submitting essays. So how long did it take to get this whole process nailed down and like have a full system to help students? Well, we tweak it every year just because there's so much growth. I mean, the first like full year I took it on, there were nine students and this year there's 40. Okay. So the process procedure, the plan, everything that goes into it changes. With growth comes a change in process. Um, The biggest worry is the amount of one-on-one time invested into a student this year because there are 40 and one of me versus the first year that I did it or the second year where there were nine and seven and I could spend a lot of one-on-one time with them. Um, So this year especially we created a systematic approach with the senior seminar teachers helping out um, with reading the essays as well. Some teachers coming on and helping to rotate through and read them. Um, And then I am in the classroom more often and then during flex period they're on a rotating schedule every single day to have a meeting with me. Okay. So all week I meet with them every week. All right. Um, yeah. And do does the college admissions process 
change every year, like what college admissions officers are looking for? Is that stayed consistent throughout your career, or is that something that changes? So, often? pretty much everything stays consistent. Um, the essays, I think, have been the same for the last three years for Common App. Um, the prompts, the procedures, uh, Common App just revamped their website to make it more user friendly, which has been a lot more user friendly. Um, and easier to maneuver through. and That's good to hear. Yeah. It's kind of a bear the last couple of years, I remember. Yeah, it's been very um, awkward to maneuver through, and now it's all systematically put up there in tabs and way more organized to make it easier to help the students with what they need. That's really good. Mm-hmm. Well, let's let's uh, let, let's do get to some specifics about standardized testing. That, okay. That's what this resolution's about. Sounds good. Um, so... For, from the college admissions standpoint, and particularly from your point of view, helping students get into college, uh, and presumably the colleges that they want to get into. Mm-hmm. I know you have every student kind of create a, a list of dream schools and some reach schools mm-hmm. and some safety schools and all those sorts of things. Uh, does the standardized test results to the SAT, I know I think we have some students who do SAT and ACT, mm-hmm. do those test results actually matter? No. Uh, if you want my honest opinion, um, that is what we want. That's why you asked about the show. <laughs> we thought we'd get your honest opinion. I'm honestly relieved. Um, I, when I did it in 2000, year 2000, when I took the SAT, I felt the same way. Um, it doesn't met, really determine a student's ability. It doesn't show their work ethic. It doesn't show their capability. It doesn't show their investment into their education. It's a test. Um, And it's a test created um, that does not systematically line up with every single educational department. I mean, you have private schools, you have Christian schools, you have public schools, and they all have a different curriculum. They all have a different structure and standard. And they don't look at every school to determine what the test looks like. They choose their favorites. And sometimes it feels like they choose where the money is. Um, that might not sound the best, but, um, and make the test appeasing and it's losing the ability to show students ability to think and what they're amazing at. Um, you also look at it with other standardized tests. If you took the, um, intelligence test, um, that there's been studies proven that the intelligence test was based towards a certain race. Um, and that when other races took it, they couldn't pass it because it wasn't what they knew to be true. And that's kind of how the SAT is. Um, a lot of schools are teaching towards it. Hmm. That's fascinating. Can yeah. you tell us a little bit more about, you, you mentioned that there are some schools that it's as if, and I know the SAT is owned by the College Board, and mm-hmm. the ACT is its own company, if I understand this correctly. Mm-hmm. Are they looking at particular schools to kind of model what they're expecting? I mean, they're... I would assume somewhere, like, I don't know why, but I would think, like, the Boston or the Massachusetts area, maybe California. Mm-hmm. Where, where are the schools that you would think, oh, they're looking at those schools and they're basing their expectations of what high school seniors are able to, or juniors and seniors are able to do based on these schools? Where, where are they looking at? See, I don't know where they're looking, and I don't know how they systematically approach it, um, but if you look at the education from a student in New York City to the education of someone in Alabama, it's completely different because resources are different. Hmm. Um, money and what you are able to get your hands on. I mean, even here in RTP, our resources are way greater than available in Carteret County and different things like that. Sure. And so they're not able to have the resources and the support, and they're still expected to take the same test, but they might be more qualified and have a better 
ability in school because they want it more. I think work ethic gets pushed to the background with the test. Um, I know students here who are phenomenal students that have the best work ethic ever, but they test like I do on standardized tests. I have a panic attack, and it's not the best representation of them. So for as far as standardized testing goes, mm-hmm. how would you, would you say that colleges use this for its efficiency and helping filter out certain levels of what the SAT would label as intelligence, and it's just used in the name of efficiency and sorting through all of those kids that are applying to that college? Mm. Well... It's kind of like if you ask a fish what it's like to fly. Hmm. How can you really determine its ability by asking them to take a test that they've never been practicing for? Um, you know, it's changed a lot since when I took it. They had to take, put, they had analogies. I don't know if you, Mr. It, Herring, they didn't had have, enough. They didn't have analogies when I took it, but mm-hmm. I took it in, this would have been 2004 or 2005, mm-hmm. And we were on an experimental cycle when it was mm-hmm. out of 2,400 points because there mm-hmm. was an 800-point essay, which I believe is either gone or optional. It's optional, optional now. Yeah. Yeah. So I, I remember not really knowing. I, I understood what the 1,600-point mm-hmm. score meant, and it was very basic. I mean, I remember thinking, like, oh, above 1,000 is really good. Is good. Mm-hmm. And below a thousand is not good. I mean, that was that was kind of the extent of my understanding. I came out of like a, I think I had a twelve eighty, mm-hmm. which for my high school was fine. I did not get to Hillsdale College because of my SAT score. Mm-hmm. There were people far smarter than I did who blew that thing out of the water. I, a couple people in my class got sixteen hundreds nice. on yes. that scale, but I, I I didn't really know what to do with the yeah. twenty four hundred scale. What does it mean if I have twenty one eighty? Yeah, I had the sixteen hundred back with the um, analogies and. I didn't even get a thousand on it. I panicked so much, and my SAT did not get me into NC State. My SAT did not get me into Appalachian State. My essay, which was about this and standardized testing, not representing a child well, because I was an example of that. But um, I was a straight A student and worked my tail off, made really good grades, um, took advanced level classes, and couldn't take a test to save my life. So you would say, you're, you're, it seems like what you're suggesting that is that really this is, it, it's, it's honestly a good thing if the standardized mm-hmm. testing declines in importance, if not be done away with entirely. Absolutely, I would agree. Um, I think we teach children, especially teenagers, that they are only valued by their grades and their tests um, and their abilities to perform rather than looking at them as a person um, and seeing their potential and... Um, I think there's a lot of mental health issues that are tied into it, Um, anxiety, panic attacks, stress, all of that type of stuff, because they're performing. You're teaching them to be performance monkeys instead of having them be who they are. I mean, I sit here with our students, and I could tell you individually their amazing personalities, where they're going to be so successful and all they have to offer, and they don't hear a word of it. All they hear is me telling them that they're not worth it because their grades aren't there. And it breaks my heart because they think they're only worth something if their grades are high enough. What would it look like from the college's perspective if they eliminated, eliminated the SAT and ACT from the admissions process and looking at that? How would that affect how they look at students based on the things that you look for, the things that you tell them? Would they be able to do that? Would it be impossible to sort through all those options? Or is there another way that they can sort of narrow down the choices for acceptance? How hard would it be to have an interview with them, a phone conversation, over Zoom or anything, they have so many admissions officers. If you take the time and get to know people, those are the type of people that will get into it. 
SAT and ACT, just because you score high, does not mean that they're going to be successful in college. It doesn't mean that they're going to survive through college and make it through. I know so many students who are worth so much more and were told no because of a score. So I want to go back to that or follow up on that. That's <laughs> really interesting to me that there are a lot of students who really take that number as an evaluation of their worth as a person. Mm -hmm. So you, you said you see a lot of that. Every day. Every day. Every day. Wow. So what, um, what kind of mental health problems or uh, for in debater talk, if these would be impacts, but what kind of mental health problems could you see coming out of really an excessive focus on a numerical evaluation? And I'm asking you as an advisor, not as a mental health professional, oh, just in sure, case sure. we have any liability issues with that question. Yeah, I don't know. No, um, I think working with teenagers, you see it. Um, Self-worth and identity and value is already a struggle. Teenage years, anyone who's worked with anyone who's a teenager sees it regular. There's so much insecurity already, and then you're asking them to perform, um, and that's never changed. It's never changed feeling insecure and inadequate um, that a teacher thinks less of you because you don't make the same grades or the people sitting to your left and the right. Um, you're just not good enough because they are... Um, and I think it just plays in into college, and then it also plays into choices that they make later in life. Um, I think especially when they're off on their own and they're taught that they're not worth anything, what are they willing to get into to be accepted and mm -hmm. to be valued? Um, yeah, because I hear that question that you posed at the end about what are people willing to do to get in. Mm -hmm. I've heard a lot of stories about cheating or mm -hmm. paying people mm -hmm. to take the SAT and ACT yep. for you. Do you know anything about that? Like, what does that look like from your perspective? Yeah, uh, the fact that you can no longer use a mechanical pencil on a standardized test shows you where they're at. What? That's exactly what is that? That's, that, that's a thing? Yeah, you have to have a number two pencil pencil, not a mechanical, because there have been students that have probably hid exam questions or whatnot in it um oh, man. you know it's one of those teaching characteristic and moral values versus getting the grade so mm. many people like are that. losing their integrity losing their character and i feel like a lot has been lost as far as character goes um we're not teaching kids to have character and have a work ethic and to work hard and if they make a 64 in a class but they work their tail off praise them tell them congratulations and they're worth so much because um, that's what's going to teach them to work hard which is what they need in their future they don't need another grade they don't need someone else telling them to meet an expectation and perform so you would say that the sat because i hear a lot of people argue that the sat Maybe while it's not a reflection of aptitude necessarily, it could be a reflection of work ethic to show how much work that student put in to get that score. You would disagree with that. Well, when I hear about um, SAT practice classes that teach you how to manipulate the test and how to outsmart the test question rather than actually learn information, and when I hear about test questions talking about uh, the ingredients of Greek yogurt rather than actually talking about important historical documents or documents that really like that. made you think. <laughs> Did you have you know? the Greek yogurt question? I had one about venomous snails. Mm -hmm. So that, it was like how, per, like some kind of snail venom is good for medicine. And then I had, uh, no, it, I had a nutrition one mm -hmm. about like food labels and all this stuff. And they mm -hmm. gave me the same test twice, but that's because I accidentally went to two testing but days. Oh, how, do, how does that teach you to think? Why aren't you getting something like Plato or Socrates that 
is incredibly difficult to decipher and causes you to think and shows your work ethic to process through it and what you gain from it. Um, I don't ever plan on going into a science degree. Why do I need to know about venomous snails? Exactly. I mean, it, I sure learned a lot about venomous snails, I'll tell you that much. But. Oh, I think that's one of the more interesting parts that I don't know that people think about as much that really, in a sense, I think as teachers, we would both agree that we don't teach to the test, no matter the mm -hmm. test, while also recognizing that there's a sense in which what is tested is what we're stressing to the students. This is what really matters. Yep. I might tell you a thousand things, but the 10 that I expect you to know on the test, those are the ones that I'm communicating yep. through my test design. That's what really matters. And so learning doesn't happen. It then becomes, is this going to be on the test? Right. And yeah. that's what we're teaching them. Your worth and your value is determined by a number, not your quality. Can you get students to want to learn? Because I, that's, I don't see that all the time. I'm just going to be completely honest. It's like going to school is like a chore to a lot of people. Grad so. school. Grad school. Grad so school. after college. So... I think that's the biggest thing with being in grad school right now. Like, I choose my education. I choose to learn and invest into it. And there are days where I can't give it 100%. Um, life happens. Being an older adult, you know, like, I have family expectations and different things like that. So I can't give it 100%. But I'm engaged in the learning process. I want to be there. I want to study. I want to learn it because it excites me. Um... I think when you have a child who struggles in math and asks them to learn math after math after math and take a test on it and prove that there were something, you know, they might never have an intention of going towards a math degree. Yeah. But that Ooh. math grade oh, okay. determines whether or not they go to college. And they could be, I mean, I saw it last year, this child was supposed to be an artist, had the best artistic talent, had no need for math ever. And whether or not she could go to school depended upon this SAT. So and the stress on testing is almost mm -hmm. deteriorating mm -hmm. the, the want for learning or distorting mm -hmm. that to just I, focus on the score. I think I mostly agree with everything you just said with the caveat that I would say it doesn't have to wait. Lo learning to love learning doesn't have to wait till grad school. I think many people who go on to grad school do have that mm -hmm. same experience that suddenly they realize... Well, because grad school is so much about your own choice to do that. No one forces you to go to grad school. I found that uh, even in high school, um, I had a couple of teachers who were just so passionate about their subject that I kind of caught their love of uh, history. And in hindsight, at the time, I was bored out of my mind. But I, I, I give thanks on a weekly basis for Dr. Tony Isola and his droning about Anglo-Saxon respect for women in 10th grade English class. He, was, he insisted that we read Jane Austen. I to this day hate Jane Austen. But I caught a love of literature and a, from him, a love of history from uh, Nick Higgins, who's now professor of political philosophy at Regent University. And I just, but I mean, at various points, I think people catch that passion for mm -hmm. learning. Um, well, let's, let's focus this in a slightly different direction, though. So if you, you've listed a bunch of problems with the SAT. I mean, it, it really kind of, the, the, the standardized testing focus, which we can honestly probably extend to things like Iowa's or the PSAT mm -hmm. or, or really the, uh, the in, in Virginia, we called them uh, EO, end of year exams. EOGs. Yep. EOGs, I think. Mm -hmm. It had a different acronym in Virginia than in North Carolina. Yeah. Unless that's the Virginia one, I don't remember. Uh, EOGs is North Carolina. Okay, yeah. Virginia had a slightly different one, but still, same idea. Well, in which case, why do colleges have these? What do they use them for if it's detrimental to, to the whole process of learning in these ways you've been describing? Yeah, I know that there's a bunch of different things. I know some colleges are getting away from the 
validity of SAT, um, especially with last year with everything that happened and everything that came out with it. All the um, parents cheating and all helping the parents their kids cheating, cheating and yeah. paying to have someone else take a test, paying off teachers to take a test. Um, um, yeah, that's fine. Okay. And it's just kind of one of those things that it's like, how can a test be filled with integrity to really show a student's ability when you have people who have promised to give this test end up cheating themselves, cheating and, students out of the truth? And, and I'm sure Mr. Bonin's told you about like those parents that legally got rid of their kids or like gave up transferred, transferred guardianship. Yeah, they transferred yeah. guardianship of the, their kids so that they could not have like a certain type of advantage or yep. they could gain a certain type of advantage on standardized testing. Can you imagine a parent giving up legal ownership of their children right. so that they would get into college? Like, but, come on. I mean, like, like, that's what it's coming down to is that it's a game to get into college anymore. Um, it's where do I live to have a better chance for my children? What do I have to do? How do I do it? What do I have to play? And I get that, like, we're moving in an educational direction where – an undergraduate degree is like having a high school diploma nowadays but what is the purpose it almost feels like we're minima minimalizing the efforts of college and the importance of college um, because it's just expected now what's wrong with going into a trade position or you know working for a few years and all that type of stuff it, there's just this expectation um, it's the same with SAT there's just this expectation to do be perfect with it um, which really just kind of sort of changes the thing um, where the SAT used to just help you figure out what college to go to. Now it's you have to get this in order to be good enough. Um, and I think the conversation has just changed so much around it. That's that's really interesting. I've, I know over the last year I keep running into um, different things that make me think there's, there's different race issues bound up in the SAT. One of our current seniors last year told me that uh, he was actually in a worse spot than a, a white student applying to Harvard. And I laughed at him because I didn't think that was possible. And then he came in, and then one day the, uh, the Wall Street Journal ran an article about the lawsuit filed by a group of Indian students at Harvard University and about Harvard's kind of racially based SAT admissions policy. And it, it, I was just thunderstruck. I was like, oh, well, this particular student who is Indian is, is right. Uh, he would need a minimum score of about 1,400 versus a, a white student who would need something like a 1,300 in order to even be competitive because of the way they were doing it. Do you see the SAT, ACT as being, are, are these standardized tests tied to uh, just race issues around the collegiate world? I don't know if I've seen it directly correlated to the SAT, but um, I definitely think that there's some game playing um, with college acceptance altogether, um, depending on what background you put in, negates what type of SAT score you have to have to get into the school. Um, and I don't think that's fair. You're taking away the opportunity from students that should be at that school um, and giving it to someone who uh, unfortunately might have a higher chance of dropping out because their the educational expectation is not high enough. They're not able to be successful at that school and then they'll get on academic probation or something like that but their ethnicity and their race qualifies them to get into the school before someone who could thrive in the school. So that kind of uh, push for diversity and using the SAT to sort of justify a, a diversity yeah. decision, you'd see that as really being ultimately a harm to the collegiate environment. 
See, I'm 50-50 on that because, you know, diversity is important. Getting people involved, um, building a culture, having the person to your left and the right not looking like you and being different and learning and growing from them. We are a global community now, mm-hmm. um, and we need to learn how to be a global community. And I think that with some of those things that schools are doing, there's validity in it, unfortunately. Like, I know I'm back and forth on it, but getting students to see someone different and to learn about them and to get to know them no matter what community they come from I think is very important and very um, vital to the future of generations to come but at the same time when it's hindering truth and integrity and people getting into the college because they've worked hard to get into it like well which one's right do you oh. think maybe maybe an interview process would be more effective at that goal than the SAT would be as a sorting metric? Well, why do we do interviews for jobs? To get to know and, the person? And to get to know them. Same reason why you take personality tests, too, for a job, to make sure you fit in correctly. Why can't we apply those standards to colleges instead of it being black and white? You know, I wonder a lot of the times if colleges even take the time to read recommendations from a counselor or a, um, a teacher and I know a lot with public schools is the counselors don't have time to get to know the teachers mm. or not the teachers but the students and so they write a blanket statement um, recommendation according to their grades shocking enough um, but you know I, I sit there and I spend hours upon hours over every single recommendation letter I write because it's really about that student um, and I, I know my students, and what would it look like if people actually took more time to invest in those around them? I had a chance a few years ago to, uh, after graduating from college, I got to talk to the admissions counselor who had met me for the interview. Because uh, Hillsdale is, uh, of course, a very special place, but one of the things that it requires is that you can't, they won't look at your, app, they won't, your application is not complete without a campus visit. Which is hard for a lot of people. I was coming from Chesapeake, Virginia. To get up to Hillsdale, Michigan, that's a 12-hour drive or a two-hour flight plus a two-hour drive, depending if you're flying to Detroit. And so I interviewed with him. And then a couple, few years after graduation, I ran into the same admissions counselor. I was like, hey, tell me about what you thought about me in that interview. Because I, I suspect you've had this moment, too. I think I was a moron at age 17, 18. And I, in hindsight, I'm like, I don't think I was very impressive. And the guy looked at me and said, oh, what you told me in that interview was that you had started your own small neighborhood lawn business, and that's when I knew you were right for Hillsdale, which took me aback because I'm here thinking, like, on the other side of Hillsdale, I've become convinced it was all about the academics and the reading and the writing. And you the could GPA. cut Hillsdale's grass. Well, unfortunately, I never. I worked for a lot of things at the school. I never worked for the maintenance department. <laughs> <laughs> I was done with grass by the time I got there. But for this guy, it really was that face-to-face interaction and deciding that even though uh, the, the joke at Hillsdale is that every year the, class, the new freshman class is always the smartest class ever because every year the average SAT score goes yeah. up. So I had a 1280 when I think the average was like a 1390 or something. And my grades were fine, but they didn't justify letting me in. It was the interview that sealed the deal. So I wonder if you're onto something with the, the interview idea. Well, I mean, if you think about it, most who get the job are those that can have a conversation and can speak truth, that have done their research. 
And I think there's a personal connection to just feel valued. I mean, so often we tell them they're a number. You know, I graduated from NC State as a number. I could walk back on that campus and no one will know who I am. Mm. I walked on to Campbell University my first night and one of my professors that I interviewed with, I totally forgot I interviewed with her, she called my name and said, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so excited to have you. Um, there is validity in getting to know a person because then you know their strengths, their weaknesses, their success. Um, everyone who is a counselor is trained to have a conversation. Um, and to be called an admissions counselor or work in the admissions office, you are considered a counselor. Are there a lot of people that work in college admissions? Like, how many admissions officers would you say that a large school has? Because I always thought of it like a a very select group of people that are sorting through all this stuff. But there must be a lot of money in this somewhere. Well, there's a lot of grad school students that help out in the admissions office and different things like that. Um, I know at NC State there were some grad students. I don't know if they read over applications. I do know that they work there to help answer questions and stuff like that. But it's a department. It's a whole part of it. I mean, just like anything else, you have to have a ratio. No person can handle over 250 applications. Um, And they should not be expected to use it. And especially at a school like NC State that gets their application beginning of November, doesn't hand it back till January, the end of January. Like, what are you doing in that time? Like, why can't one person just be in charge of doing interviews? It takes 10 minutes to do an interview. And with technology, how hard is it to get on a camera face-to-face? Which probably makes me think that one of the reasons the SAT and ACT have become so popular is because they are, uh, to use a word I really detest, uh, they are scalable. Mm-hmm. Um, you, yep. can, you can easily use it as a filtering mechanism mm-hmm. that if we receive 20,000 applications mm-hmm. and, well, we really have 1,000 spots, so we'll take the top 1,500 of those applications based on a number, and then it's very easy to then determine uh, where it goes from there. I, I would think. I, I don't know if that's how it goes. But then again, you're basing someone's ability on a number, and you're mm-hmm. telling them they're only as good as a number. Um, instead of saying, okay, so you're not so great at taking a test, what else you got? Because they might be like me that does not have the ability to take a standardized test. Unfortunately, I do have some just learning something that keeps me from having... The ability to take one um, and that doesn't mean I'm not capable I'm actually sure. pretty good in the classroom and I work really hard and I give it my best effort um, and I just think that you're losing a lot of people um, and feeding into this idea that I'm not good enough because I don't match a number um, I think it's going to be interesting, though, that if, if colleges did actually take what you're suggesting and they began incorporating, if replace the SAT and ACT component with a even just a 10-minute interview, and I wonder how much that would force colleges to reduce the number of applications that they look at. Because even that's going to, and that would, that would change the application game so that suddenly students are practicing their people skills as opposed yep. to uh, memorizing test manuals and mm-hmm. such. And it's just one of the things, like, even colleges are looking at, you know, it's, they're looking at it, how marketable are students after they finish the school? What's the job placement rate going to be? Um, And these students that have high, high test scores and have mastered every single test, perform well, congratulations to them. They go out into the job market without knowing how to talk to someone. And then they're not 
able to be hired because they have no social skills. And if our job as educators from day one till the day they walk out of college is to educate them and prepare them for their future, how are we preparing them by expecting them to just perform on a number? So is there any utility in using the SAT and ACT from I don't a college know. standpoint? I think that there is. I think it's to help assess where their strengths are. Um, like any other assessment, it should be used to test strengths and weaknesses and see where they need to grow. Why not have a conversation and say, hey, I saw it kind of lower. Talk me through what you're thinking on this. Ask them. Well, Courtney, thank you so much for joining us today here on What's the Res. Uh, we, we really appreciate you uh, lending us your expertise, especially at the end of the week on a Friday afternoon. Sure. Uh, so, uh, Ethan, how can folks get in touch with us if they want to send us any questions or, or feedback about this episode? Or shouts of outrage. Or shouts of outrage. Go ahead, send it to us, flood our inbox, and make sure to uh, post this episode all over Reddit, especially if you hate what we've said today. Yep. If you want to get in contact with us, you can do so at whatstherez at gmail.com. That's W-H-A-T-S-T-H-E-R-E-S at gmail.com. You can also follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Reddit at whatstherez underscore. Check out our website at www.whatstherez.com. And check out our Facebook page called What's the Res. And until next time, work hard, speak well, and seek the truth. Oh!